The program which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. You're listening to Very Loose Women. So you've just heard Club Integral and you're now listening to Various Women on Resonance 104.4 FM. If you haven't listened to us before, all you need to know is we're Resonance's premier duo-led female chat show on a Wednesday. Um, as ever, I'm Emma and this is Leo. Hi. And today we're really thrilled to be joined by Jemana and Caroline, who are both activists involved with Sisters Uncut, which is an incredible anti-austerity group focusing on government cuts to domestic violence services. Hi, guys. Hey. hey. Thanks so much for joining us today. Before we get into discussing Sisters Uncut in more detail, I wanted to ask if anyone had a mini gripe or a mini celebration of the week or possibly both I definitely have loads of mini celebrations from the week excellent (laughs) so I like to hear which are very topical to the radio show so the first one is um, so I've just started this course and um an alumni of the course is the editor of the current editor of, of Loose Women on ITV. Our inspiration of course for the show. <laughs> so <laughs> we model ourselves on. I said to her for the past 10 years I've had this radio show called Very Loose Women. Um, she seemed like a little bit impressed to be honest. Was she concerned about it being copyright infringement? Because that's I something asked that we worry her, about. I said is it a little bit uh, you know is there, is there some copyright? She's like no 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 it's fine. Oh, that's so good. She said, confirmed. no, 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 it's fine, but she's calling the lawyer at the same time. <laughs> Maybe. She, I mean, she was holding a phone, but I think it was for a cab, not a lawyer. But who knows? It could have been. And then the other thing was earlier today, I was, at, I was filming an event and um, it was an international alert event. And one of the people who went along to this is LaRue, who you know... <laughs> I'm a big fan of LaRue. I don't, I don't know personally know LaRue, but I feel like I do through her music, yes. <laughs> right, so um, I went up to her and I was like... We really like uh, your music. And I said we've been to her shows, even though actually you've been. She could be listening right now. So let's you just say we've, we've all been. Everyone yeah. in the studios. I mean, enjoyed. I wanted to go that night. So I felt like, and I got all the WhatsApp texts when like you were all going to the gig and everything in Oxford. It's so basically like you were I there. I felt like I was there and I really did want to go. So anyway. So you lied to LaRue, <laughs> said you'd been to her gig. And then what happened? But I do really love listening to, to her tunes. So it counts. It definitely counts. Okay, so then I asked her, I said, like, would you be up for saying, like, hi, very loose women? She's like, wait, do you want me to do an ident? And I was like, yes, I would love that. And so this is what she recorded. I'm going to play it for you right now. Hi, very loose women. This is LaRue, and this is my dad's favorite radio station. Yeah. Resonance 104.4 FM is her dad's favorite radio station. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. When um, I told her it was Resonance, she's like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Dad, I'll be happy. That's yeah. nice. Do you guys have any gripes or celebrations of the week? My celebration of the week is definitely going to be... Um, this is the Zunka action that we did in Southwark yesterday. Um, we're going to go on to talk a little bit more about that later. But yeah, that was pretty amazing. I guess pushing past some security guards and taking over the cabinet meeting topped my week. Um, and that's I just got good. back from holiday, so that's saying something. That's cool. Uh, mm. I just tweeted for the first time ever. So that's a wow. massive celebration. <laughs> that is really good. Modern technology. Okay, well, for me, I've got like, well, the other day, about two days ago, I felt this twinge in my stomach and I've realised I've become very in tune with my body. And when I feel this very minute twinge, I know the next day I'm going to get my period. And wow. as predicted, I got my period. So that's also a double celebration because, you know, obviously when you get your period, it means you're not pregnant. So that's always good news. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is a double for me. celebration. Have you tried um, one of those period checker apps? I've heard a lot about them, but I've never... Yes, never I used to use Clue, which is actually... I, I would recommend it as a very good period tracker app. Mm. You know, I you use get Monthly talk- Planner. It's a oh. frequent to- topic. Monthly on Planner. That, that sounds like <laughs> WH Smith branding. <laughs> yeah. Clue's quite gl- glamorous. You get to talk about like levels of viscosity yeah. and discharge. Mm. You know, like your mood, oh. stuff was, like that. Someone was telling me about this today, where they were charting it like on paper, and 
and now you're telling me that there's an app for it. Yeah. Yeah, so you don't need to draw a graph or anything. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, for everything. it's called M Cycles. I don't know how that became monthly planner in my head. It's definitely, oh no, Period Tracker by Monthly yeah, Cycles. Yeah, I told you Period Tracker. Yeah. That's what I was Oh uh, yeah, it's great. I really enjoy that. We could do a whole show on Period Planners. We should probably do that. But, not today. Not today. Not today. Okay, so like something before we start talking more in detail about what Citizen and Can't do and their the kind of demos, something that's inspired me because I've been to a few demos is the kind of the use of music to set the tone. It's quite like defiant and celebratory. So before we talk a bit more, um, I think, Jamana, you've picked a song for us. Can you tell us a bit about what, cho- what song you chose and why? Yeah, so this is a song that is basically occurred at every single Sisters Uncut demonstration since it was released by Rihanna in March of 2015. It's really, for us, it's a song that it's very angry, it's very powerful, but it also centres on your right um, as a woman to claim what should be yours, um, in our case, funding for vital services. Um, It's also a very good song to dance to in the street when cops are around, so... Can I just do a little warning? There might be some fruity language in this song, so just any children listening, please cover their ears, parents. Yeah, yo. Yeah, yo. More la la. Yeah, yo. This better have my money. Y'all should know me well enough. This better have my money. Play down, call me on my blood. Pay me what you want it. Ballin' bigger than LeBron. Okay, so let's rewind a little bit. So, Jamana, I interviewed you, well, I was trying to work out when it was, but maybe it's about a year and a half ago in an incredibly mm. noisy cafe in Camberwell. <laughs> um, and we're kind of talking about this, I think, quite newly emerging London group, Sisters Uncut. How did you personally get involved with it? So the way that I got involved was a friend told me about it, and at the time I'd just started working in a domestic violence service. And it, to me, it sounded like something I'd always been looking for, really. I guess I had only been involved in activism on the left before in groups that I found very frustrating because they were dominated by men and issues relating to male violence, relating to um, things that are predominantly experienced by women and queer people were really sidelined and were not the main priority in any way, shape or form. And certainly in terms of the organising space, we were relegated and our voices were a lot quieter. And I think what a lot of people say about sisters is the first time they come, they feel like it's a space where they can be heard. And that's really important for me. How would you describe the aims, I guess, of Sisters? I mean, Sisters' original sort of mission statement is to stop cuts to funding for domestic violence services, um, in a nutshell. So what we're doing is trying to pressurise the government to reverse cuts that have already been made, but also we're kind of placing this within a broader anti-austerity framework. So we're looking at the ways in which other intersecting issues like housing, like changes to immigration policy, like changes to welfare benefits, are all impacting on women who are in that crucial moment of leaving an abusive relationship. And so, as I say, we, we met maybe a year and a half ago. How do you think it's grown over the past year? It's grown hugely. I mean, what 
the, I guess the biggest change has been in February of um, this year, we decided to split into regional groups. After the suffragette action in October of 2015, where we stormed the red carpet of the suffragette premiere in London, the popularity of the group just grew uncontrollably and our name got out there um, to, what was it, currently about 70 different countries? Yeah, all over the world. All over the world, yeah. Australia. Japan, New York. We were, in, <laughs> we were in about 70 different publications the next day. Anyway, so the meetings became unmanageable. There were hundreds of people turning up to one centralised London meeting and we realised we just couldn't function in that way anymore. Um, and we realised that, we, you know, that was something to be celebrated. At first it gave us a lot of anxiety because we didn't know how it was going to work, splitting up into regional groups and organising locally. And that really meant shifting away from um, the focus that had been so far on government policy and looking at um, how to affect that structural change on, that, on the government, national government level and moving to working really with the community um, and looking at what we could do at, lo- at local level as well. And it's not just London, right? There's branches all over the UK. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, we've got Portsmouth, Bristol, Newcastle, Doncaster, Glasgow. Setting up Leeds. Setting up Leeds. Manchester's on its way. Mm-hmm. Cool, so all over. Don't act like you forgot. I call a shot, shot, shot. Like blah, blah, blah. I just also want to talk about the atmosphere at the demo. So we've already played a song, the kind of music that you might have blasting out when you're doing your march. Um, I took my mum actually to one of the demos and we both found it very emotional. I think kind of because you're hearing and seeing a lot of heartbreaking like, statistics. You know, there's, there's mm-hmm. one that gets repeated a lot, which is like you know, two women a week. Murdered by a current or former partner. Yeah. Yeah. In the and, UK. and that's and also like, so you're hearing all those things. But at the same time, it's kind of coupled with like a, a celebration and a kind of joy with all these mm. sisters together. Um, can you talk about maybe how you balance the celebration in the morning and, and what kind of things you do to, to address that? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think it's really important for us that we have that balance, just so that people feel empowered whilst being able and supported whilst they're engaging with these really difficult issues. We know because of the prevalence of domestic violence and other forms of gender-based violence within our society that many of the women and non-binary people who are attending our demonstrations are survivors or are family members of, of people who have survived domestic abuse. And so it's really important that whilst we engage with those issues out publicly and raise awareness and break the silence around these issues, we also are creating a space where those where the people who are attending the demonstrations are really held. So we always read the names of the women who've been murdered in the last year by a current or former partner in the UK. Um, but we also, I mean, you should have a ceremony, a kind of ritual of mourning around that. Sometimes we lay flowers, sometimes we have wreaths, sometimes we have, um, you know, we have all kinds of different sort of symbols and s- symbolisms I think are really important in, in processes of mourning. But we also um, create a celebratory atmosphere afterwards, or as though it was awake, really. And, and that's really important as well, because it gives people a, the opportunity to take strength in the sisters who they're there with. And that's what a lot of people say they find, like you said, kind of moving and empowering about the demonstrations themselves. So when you're kind of doing a blockade and you're blasting out music, you're letting off flares maybe... Um, what kind of responses have you had from members of the public? Actually, really positive ones. So, like, on our first demo, which was Piccadilly Circus at Eros Statue, and we walked up towards um, Oxford Circus and blocked the road there for about 20 minutes, we were really surprised by how positive people were around us. Mm. We actually got loads of people coming to our next meetings because they bumped into us there, and the crowd were really supportive. Very few Aggie people 
and people really engage with our flyers and stuff like that and yeah. are really keen it's a topic that's really never discussed as well yeah. so and like Jemana was saying it is so prevalent that most people can identify at least mm. a little bit with domestic violence so it's um yeah i think also yeah. people are just really curious when they see a group of women together in the street taking up space being loud being aggy you know setting off flares playing loud music dancing around with police looking very baffled that people are curious they're like what on earth is going on <laughs> like what could be happening right now that this is taking place and sometimes like with that same demonstration that caroline was talking about there was a woman who came up to us who was in tears who just said that she'd just managed to get out of an abusive relationship where she'd been imprisoned in her own home for a year and she'd only just got out of this relationship and she'd come into town the next day to go shopping to sort of clear her head and the first thing she saw was us and she was just so incredibly grateful and we were all in tears and there's a lot of that you know that we get we get thanked a lot because people who can't do it want us to be there to do it for them and what kind of responses have you guys had from the press um i mean the press Oh, a fickle beast. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Very diplomatically put. <laughs> I I think that the press, they like us. We like them sometimes. I think what's important for us is that we know as a group, we're, we're a really diverse group. We have um, women, we have non-binary people, we have women, that we have trans women, intersex women, cis women, all kinds of people from all different backgrounds working with us. We have disabled women, we have people who identify in lots of different ways and the press often like to use a specific image when they want to talk about a feminist group and that's an image of white women or of blonde women or of thinner women and we have kind of problems sometimes with actually representing the diversity of the group that we have and for us that's really important to make sure that people know because feminism you know it has a kind of in, in this country certainly and in, and in the US it has a reputation of being a, a white woman's enterprise really because as a woman of colour, you're supposed to you end up in a, in a position where you have to choose between race, between the fight, the struggle for racial equality and the struggle for your, your gender equality. And what we're trying to do at Sisters is provide a space where people can come together on all these intersecting issues that they have to do with aspects of their identity and work together to end those. So we're trying to always make sure we've got black, black sisters at the front, Muslim sisters at the front, we have children at the front, and we're always representing, you know, in the press, and that's really important to us. Don't act like you forgot Bitch, but I am my I just wanted to know about some kind of notable actions you've done re recently. Maybe you can tell us a bit about the Southwark Council action yesterday. So the Southwark Council action that we did yesterday, I mean, we stormed the cabinet meeting um, at the Southwark Council offices in Tooley Street. They were having a cabinet meeting between 4 and 6 p.m. yesterday. And really this is kind of coming off the back of an action. We've been having a campaign against Southwark Council since the summer. In June, at the end of June, we occupied an empty building in Southwark to raise awareness of the fact that there were... Um, over a thousand, there's 1,270 empty council properties in Southwark at the moment. And the council, according to their own information that we got in freedom of information requests, is turning away 47% of women who approach them as homeless due to domestic violence. So approaching the council as homeless is one of the, you know, first things that a woman might do, just as a kind of port of call. She might not even know she's making a homeless application, but it's, you know, some, a place people go looking for support and they're frequently turned away. And so it's been pulled up on this 
by the High Court last year in 2015 for practicing gatekeeping practices. So making up excuses and inventing things and breaking the law, actually, um, by turning women away and not letting them know what their rights are. So our action yesterday was an, was, was an escalation. We In the occupied space we had, we ran a social centre. We let people know what their rights were. We ran workshops on self-defence, housing, immigration, um, the history of the women's rights movement. Um, but we also just heard people's stories and what we heard was that people were being failed by Southwark Council again and again on housing. So yesterday we went to the cabinet meeting and we uh, stormed the cabinet meeting and we um, read out a list of demands and we also read out the names of 129 women who have been murdered over the past year due to domestic violence. That, and that went really well, so you, you ended up getting a meeting. Is that right? Yeah, so it was it, it was really interesting, actually, because, I mean, they knew we were coming. They'd actually they'd, they'd locked the foyer. They put a big chain around the main the main door, but we um, we sent someone ahead as a, as a decoy. It was really, it was quite slapstick. I couldn't believe it worked. <laughs> we sent someone ahead as a decoy with a map pretending to be a tourist that was lost. <laughs> they, they genuinely bought this. I can't believe they bought it. And we, so she distracted the security guard asking for directions. <laughs> and they had just like one, the other door open, which led directly to the, I mean, I don't really know how they thought they were going to get away with this. But yeah, so obviously we all just piled in. And then we decided to go into the cabinet meeting itself, which also only had one security guard on the door. And uh, and yeah, we, we managed to read out all of our demands and they couldn't shut us up basically they tried to talk over us when we were reading out the list of names of women who'd been murdered and the people in the public gallery were just disgusted to be honest I mean the, the cabinet chair um, trying to interrupt somebody reading out names of people who've, who've been killed by a violent part I mean it was really just uh, yeah it stuck in the throat a little bit so yeah we, we secured a meeting with the councillor for housing and the director for housing policy so we're going to have a meeting on the 20th of October to discuss our demands. Great, and I think there was that social centre in um, in Peckham. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that because that was I felt that that was quite a, a project that engaged the community because yeah. it was you know anyone could walk in yeah. and there were events. I went to like a poetry night. There were, it was it just felt very welcoming. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that kind of laid the foundation for when you went into Southwark and maybe there were people there who had heard about it through that yeah. is it more more like a snowball effect perhaps yeah absolutely like Jamana said I mean this was an es- escalation on that it was that w- what was beautiful about the centre in Peckham was that it really was a place for the people to come and share their stories and we'd already got lots of statistics from freedom of information requests from Southwark but to actually have people who were really being affected by by their gatekeeping practices ultimately was um was really powerful and mm. really allowed for us to grow as a group as well and now we've got a different kind of group out of the back of of the back of the um of the occupation and so it's constantly growing and and yeah just a bit stronger and what we yesterday we also met a couple of people um from the Aylesbury Mm, estate yeah two of the last six remaining people living on the Aylesbury estate um, who've been fighting a battle against Southwark Council, who's been trying to get a compulsory purchase order on their properties. Um, and they actually won a really big victory just the other day. And they were at the council meeting as well. Um, because they were, yeah, they were asking a question relating to the case. And they came and met us afterwards and they were really hyped about our group and hopefully we're going to get involved with them and, and work together on, on housing in Southwark. So why do you think so many people have joined up and become so incensed and empowered by the group? How has it grown so much? 
I think that um, really, I can't believe that it's taken so long for a group like this to come about in a way, um, because it's it's like a kind of it's an educational space for one. It gives people the opportunity to learn a lot about feminism, to learn about domestic violence, to learn the way that local government and national government policy works for a start. I mean, I've learned a huge amount um, from other sisters and we're constantly having skill shares where people who have information or who have the knowledge already can um, impart that knowledge to other people within the group so we can start to understand these things which affect all of us at the end of the day. Um, Whether you're working in a service or whether you're somebody who might be accessing a service now or later, it's really important that when we're fighting for this, we know the ways in which the funding is structured and how how that money gets to services in the first place but also i think it's just like we said before when it comes to taking up space you know it's a it's a place where you can be rowdy but you can also be vulnerable you know and in, in the, there's a lot of space in meetings to reflect on how you're feeling to reflect on how your week's been and to get support from each other and what we do what we're trying to do is create a community not this isn't this isn't a flash in the pan kind of we want to win we want to win one, I don't know, one battle and then go home and, and retire from feminism. It's, it's really about creating a community around us that, that reflects the type of society that we want to see in the future. I went along to a meeting down in Newcross once and it sounds like a similar story to you, but just much later where I'd gone to like quite a few activist groups and there was a lot of sexual harassment in mm. one of the groups and, and I just got really sick and tired of this atmosphere and so I went along and it was it did feel like a huge relief to be in a women only women and non-binary people like space where it felt like the you know there was a priority on avoiding misogyny basically where that was prioritized and Mm. it was definitely um it definitely felt encouraging for sure and I was a newbie so I was only there for like I don't know maybe two hours and I was late so but I still (laughs) felt like you know I was part of the space and that's really impressive I think um, what do you feel that you've gained from being part of the group? Like just on a personal, maybe even selfish perspective, obviously there's this notion of community. Is there any, what What do you feel you've gotten out of it? Um, yeah, when we were kind of like what you were just saying actually is like this welcoming space that's really basically a new family and we do kind of see ourselves as this feminist family, which is really exciting because we haven't had that in the past. But what we were saying earlier as well was, opportunities basically that 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 sisters provide for people um not like Jamana was saying about it being an educational space um it's also it reminds me of this time that when I went to Doncaster um Doncaster sisters was just setting up um because women's aid there was going to close down so a group of women kind of got together and were like we're not having this and um they were they were in their 60s and um some of them anyway and um had been organising all their life and had never, before this action that we did in Doncaster, or that they, they did, had never been on the megaphone before. And they were talking about how they'd never been able to do all of this because they'd always been in these like male-dominated activist spaces and that Sisters was giving them the opportunity to kind of grow in that way. And I think that that is so beautiful. And we see that all, all the time. Mm. People saying that they have never done something or that they didn't have the confidence to do something before. And... And it's really, it's really wonderful to be part of a group that allows allows for people to grow like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that for me, sisters. I mean, I work in the sector. I work for a domestic violence service, and for me, sisters allows me to advocate for the change beyond the limitations and the scope of my professional role. 
it allows me to do the screaming and shouting that I feel like doing at work sometimes, but I can't because because it's my job and I'd get fired. Um. <laughs> For everyone listening, then, how can they get involved if they've kind of been inspired by what we've been talking about today? How can they get involved? How can they take part? So we've got in London, we've got three groups at the moment. We've got North London Sisters, East London Sisters or East End Sisters, as they call themselves, and South East London Sisters. Um, so those are the three groups regionally in London. Um, and as we've mentioned already, there are groups outside of London as well. You can find all of them on Facebook or you can also find them on Twitter. The main Sisters Twitter account is at Sisters Uncut and the South East London Twitter is at SEL Sisters Uncut. Um, and the best way to get involved really is just to come down to a meeting. So the meetings are open to anyone who's women or non-binary. They are usually run on a Thursday or in some cases on a Saturday as well between seven and nine that's certainly the ones in southeast London and yeah you can just come down and we've got we've got a group of people that welcome people who are new and who've never been to a meeting before and they explain how everything works and if you feel a bit overwhelmed you're not obliged to sort of take part or sort of take anything on really and everyone's very nice um, yeah. <laughs> or just follow us, follow us on Facebook and Twitter and, and check out our actions. To be honest, I always say that if you're a woman or non-binary person surviving in the world, just as you are, you're doing perfect. So anything <laughs> extra you do on top of that, good for you. That's great advice. <laughs> so I've got one more question. We don't have a ton of time before we end. But in terms of your campaign, you've been doing it for quite a while now. Do you feel that your opinions have changed because of it? I think I theoretically thought I understood the power of women and queer people collectively to organise and affect change and now I really feel it like I really believe it and I feel it in my in my heart of hearts and it's incredible it's an incredible feeling yeah um I'd also yeah that's that's really beautiful but I'd also say it's hard work it's harder Mm. the struggle is like long and and we all put in so much work to sisters and that's that in that's really i think noticeable because we've done amazing things and we will continue to and there's always an influx of people willing to put in that work yeah it's 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 been hard but it, and but it's also been beautiful and i think in activist spaces you can often um get kind of burnt out and worn out and it sounds like it's such a kind of nurturing. such a nurturing yeah. community mm. that like you can kind of protect each other a bit against those yeah things. and that you, you're allowed to burn out as well if that does yeah. happen you know take time for yourself that's yeah, we absolutely. really support that yeah, yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on. We're about to end the show. I think we've got one last song. If you guys want to introduce it, and then I'll say our goodbyes. Yeah, um, for, for all the feminist family out there, you know who you are. This one goes out to you. Okay, so this is going to be Sister Sledge <laughs> with We Are Family. Just want to say thank you so much for listening. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Sarah, for engineering. We've been very loose women, and you can tweet us at VLW Radio, and you can listen to our podcast at Acast or, or iTunes. Stitcher or iTunes. Yeah. Yeah, Global Globio's next. This is Sister Sledge.
Resonance is a not-for-profit broadcast platform and relies on public support. If you like what you've heard, make a secure donation at resonancefm.com.